whatever the path is to get to that point, if we don't have trust, if, if our patients don't trust the decisions that we're collectively coming to with them, and if there are things that, that are around that can weaken that, um, that's, that's a challenge. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, it's a, it, you, we were talking about this at the very beginning. If, you know, if we have um, an entity that's talking, and, and this is, you know, just more general of the things that we've seen about, well, you know, you can't, you can't use anything off label. It's got to be on label. You, you know, you can't, you, this medication isn't approved for this condition, so you can't use it for that condition. Well, if that's where we, we're going to start to go, uh, or if that's what winds up happening with some of the things that you're talking about, I agree with you. I think it's, it, you know, it is, um, it's going to be a challenge to maintain the, the longevity of, of the doctor-patient relationship in eye care. And I, I, I actually think the most important thing for me is that that's a detriment to patients, you know, and, and yes, it's a detriment to our profession, but it's a detriment to patients first. And, and, um, and then, you know, just like rising tides elevate all ships, you know, sinking tides will do the same. And, and, um, you know, we, we've got to be careful. You know, we've got to really be careful. Yep. I, I want to go back just a little bit. There was um, talking about starting up a practice again, you know, hmm. starting a, a cold start. The second time was way better because, you know, those, those three years that I was with the big group, my patient base just believed. Mm. And so to, to get that patient base to just expand like crazy and then go about two and a half, three miles down the street and open up, um, it was a, an ideal way to start. I mean, it, it's, so all the metrics of like what you can expect, I blew those out of the water, but it was kind of cheating because I've been in practice for right. 14 years by then and or 13 years. So it's not really fair. It's not really a, just a cold startup. But my, I was talking to my brother, um, my oldest brother, and he was, uh, he was, I told him how excited I was to kind of start over again. And, and he was saying, but why? I mean, well, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, what's the, the appeal? And I said, well, think about it this way. If you got out of college and the first house that you bought, that, that you didn't buy a house, you built a house. Yeah. And you were, you know, 22 years old, and that's what you thought you wanted to do. It was, oh, that's great. You can change that house all you want, but you're limited by what you've already done to a certain extent. And, you know, and here it is, you're, you're 15 years later, and you have a chance to just raise that house and build it again. That house looks a lot different that second time, because you've already, you have this experience to build on, you know, all the mistakes that you made the first time, and it's a blessing to have it a blank slate and it's, it's exciting. And, you know, what would your practice look like if you were forced to start again? And, and it's, it's kind of fun. Well, not just kind of fun. It was really, I, I've really enjoyed it. We have a, like I said, amazing facility. My staff is, is top of the line. I mean, they, I can't say enough good stuff about them. We, we really have fun together. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like having just built a house that suits me perfectly right now. Can you, so the last question I'll ask you, can you, um, without going through what you went through, can you be 15 years into practice and raise that house and rebuild it the way you want to? I mean, <laughs> anybody without, without leaving a physical location and a physical entity, can you just say, look, I'm redesigning my practice? Or do you think... Or do you think it has to be an evolution that takes time? Um, I, I think, I think that imagine if you have to have a surgery, you know, you don't get an option for that and you come out better on the other end. Was that something that you would wake up on a Saturday morning and say, I think I'd like to have someone go in and redo my heart, you know, and kind of re, reconfigure the, the vessels around it. Like, no way. It, it took a crisis and it takes a crisis for you to, to do that. And I think theoretically, it'd be probably be a great business move if people that have been in practice for 15 years would do that and just say, you know what, I'm going to start over. Hey, everybody, we're going to shut down for three months and we are going to do this thing right. But it would take a crisis to do that. I think 
the thing that we probably see the most is people running out of space and then building a nice new practice and all that. So that happens, but that's more of a something you plan on and you it kind of work into that. And it's a dream that's, that's realized over time. Um, yeah. So I think that's another one of those things in my case is unique. Um, I think that I had to go through that as kind of a, a jolt and a wake up call to get me to that place where I could start building again. Um, Shakabuki. It's a swift, it's a swift kick to the head that completely <laughs> alters your reality. Yes. You know, that's from, you know, the first time I heard that was there's a, there's a movie from the late nineties called gross Bro- point blank. blank. Yes. Yep. It's one of my favorites of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and it's so funny you said that because I just watched a clip of that on YouTube. Uh, because which one bing, 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 popcorn the song, the song is uh, under pressure by queen oh my gosh what a and great what, that is like the class it's like like one of my favorite scenes of all time having this existential oh. moment with this baby and they're staring at each other oh yeah. oh my gosh that that is like yeah i get goosebumps when i think about that and and what brought that up was one of my workers told me to watch Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today, I had a great conversation with my longtime friend, Dr. Steve Miller, who practices in Hutchinson, Kansas. And we talked about his path from private practice to selling to a large group practice. Then um, that practice winds up selling to private equity and he decides to open another private practice. And it's a, it's a great story that he has to tell. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to Steve as I always do. And please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. I want to talk about the My Day Multifocal for a second. It's just coming out, and we had the opportunity to do a preclinical trial with this lens this last summer. And there were a couple of things that I thought were really helpful. The first one is that it is different than a lot of the multifocals that we've used before in our practices where patients, especially early emerging presbyopes, really manage the, it didn't cause a lot of additional uh, distance blur for them. And the other thing that was really helpful was because we've never been involved in a clinical trial before was to understand uh, the sort of questions that we might ask our patients. And we ask a pa- our patients a lot of questions about their patient about their satisfaction with a contact lens, but what we weren't doing was actually having them score that themselves. So one of the parts of this that was really interesting to me was asking patients on a scale of one to 10, how they would score their vision, how they would score their comfort in their current lenses, and then how they would do the same on their uh, new lenses. And it showed me a lot of times where patients would say they were happy, might rate their vision as a six or a seven. And um, and then it also reframed their thinking about their current satisfaction in their lenses and allowed me to open up the door to offering other solutions. So if you haven't tried something like that in your clinical practice, I would encourage you to. And I would also encourage you to try the MyDay Multifocal for your patients. I guess I want I want to hear because I don't really know the in-depth details of building the practice that you built for so many years, deciding to sell that practice, uh, and then that the practice that you sold to flips to private equity, and then you decide, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. I want to I want to start my practice again. So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So um, you know I, I started a practice cold. And, and, and you always hear about these, oh, start a practice hot. No, it was cold. You know, it, it was pretty rough uh, in a small town, central Kansas. And, uh, and, and my thought was, you know, when you invest in a small town like that, I expected people to just really reciprocate, to, to really support it. And, um, and I, was, I was wrong to a certain extent. I, there were some people that did that, but you know, I think it's a testament to the relationship that eye doctors have with their patients. I look back and I'm like, you know, that that's asking a lot to, because I've got good eye doctors in here. My colleagues are awesome. Because they were driving from, people lived in that town, but they didn't have any eye care. They were driving to another town and they just had a, a relationship. Absolutely. And so, you know, that once a year that something comes up that, oh, I need my, my eyes checked again. I'm out of contacts, whatever. Um, I can go you know, 20 miles, which is probably where I'm working anyway. 
or it's where I get buy my most of my groceries or whatever. Or this guy's here. I don't know anything about this guy other than he likes our town. Um, so it was slow going, and it was it was really rough. And I, I've talked to a number of new grads or upcoming grads over the years, and you know, try not to be a Debbie Downer on it, but I, I'm saying like, you better know what you're getting into because this is a hard road. It's really difficult, and um, you know, to start out from scratch and you know, first generation optometrist in the family, so no background and all that, and um, so we built it up. Um, it was in my, you know, kind of naivety, I was, uh, making some poor business decisions. Um, my, you know, my marketing budget was way over because I was supporting everything, trying to support mm-hmm. and, and you know what, you just can't build a healthy business when, when you're not taking home good money to pay for groceries. So it, it took mm-hmm. me a number of years. Um, and we got to this point where we were growing and we were fairly comfortable, but it's, it was hard to kind of turn the ship to and, and to get it to, to grow uh, the right way. And part of that was my staff was pretty old fashioned. And um, so I was burdened, you know, I was long hours. I was spending long hours there. I was doing some work at a local prison here a couple times a month to, to make ends meet. And, and it was, it was actually fun. I enjoyed that. Um, and made good money doing that. And, uh, and then it got to this point where kind of out of the blue, uh, this large group practice, 20 locations, uh, they contacted me, uh, in the town that I lived in and said, Hey, want to take you out to dinner. Are you interested at all? I said, yeah, I'm interested in hearing now. I'm always interested in hearing. Sure. And, um, went out to dinner and we came away from that. I remember it very well because Johnny Cueto was pitching, game five of the American league championship series, uh, back in 2015 for the Royals. And, um, and, uh, they beat the, uh, the Astros to move on to the world series that night. So big time for me. And, uh, uh, we left there and my wife said, wow, I don't think we have any interest in that. And I said, I'm very interested in that because what appealed to me and what I wasn't letting her in on was the stress that I was dealing with, Mm. with always thinking about work. And so to be able to show up to work, you know, my first patients at eight o'clock, I could show up at, you know, eight fifteen, and right about the time the patient's being seated in the exam room and walk in and see my first patient. And at, you know, about 10 till five, I was out the door driving home, you know? And so that first year was like honeymoon phase. It was fantastic. I was given this, this great crew, well-trained, you know, all the best equipment. It was a dream. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. So I'm going to pause you there real quick. So, um, so you started your practice right out of school, uh, 2007, 2005, 2005. Okay. Then 2005, you build it up and 2015. So you'd been in practice for 10 years. You grew the practice for 10 years. When did you go from that first conversation to when you decided to sell to this group, which was a private group, but a large group practice, right? Um, first meeting was, um, October of 2015. Okay. We pretty much agreed on, on terms in April of 2016. Okay. So six and then did you, and in that practice as part of your, as part of the purchase agreement, did you have any ownership or stock in that other practice or you, you completely sold it? Right. So I completely sold my practice. And since I brought a book of patients with me and, and a decent practice, so we agreed on a price and it was a, it was a pretty fair price. Um, so, um, the, the, all we could get, we tried, I mean, I had, I had someone negotiating on my behalf, we had an accountant and business associate or business, um, um, coach, I guess, mm-hmm. a local accountant that kind of specializes in mergers and acquisitions. Um, he really went to bat and got a lot of stuff. He was worth every penny. Just a, just a good guy. Um, but one thing we couldn't do was get them to commit to a timeline of ownership. All we could get is, hey, this is our MO. Uh, when you come to us with a practice, we're going to benefit pretty much right from the start. So you'll work with us for about three years. If you're a team player, if we feel like we're compatible, whatever, you become an owner at that point. The, the three years, the first three years, you're not making a whole lot of money. It was, it was decent, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't great. Um, but by doing that, you're kind of buying in right there. 
and you don't actually purchase the, the ownership share. What happens is you forego your dividends for a certain number of years after you're an owner, and then you get like another chunk after that. So that was all we could get. And I understand that. And their, their thought was like, we're not committing to ownership. We don't even, we haven't even worked with you. We don't know you. Yeah. Okay. And we tried and tried. We just, they couldn't budge on that. So, um, but that has always, had always been their MO. And when you look at all the owners and, and I, you know, these are colleagues, so I know them and, and it, it seemed to hold true. Um, the, the second year was when we went from, um, a straight salary plus bonus uh, to performance only. And so my first year, um, yeah, there's kind of a, a standard salary. And then depending on how much revenue you're generating, you get these nice bonuses. Well, I was in the top tier of the bonuses out of the, oh, I think there were, oh, there were like uh, probably 20 employee doctors um, probably 15 ODs and five MDs that were employees. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was, I was producing well. Uh, I, was the, I was the number two producer. The number one was a retinal specialist. And then, of course, a nice big gap down to me. Right. And then right. a glaucoma specialist and, and some general ophthalmology and stuff like that. But I was, I was working my tail off. I wanted to prove myself, you know. And, and it was in the same location that you had owned. Yes, and another one. So I was okay. split the time between one in my hometown that I lived in and one in the small town in my practice. And so, then so I want to I want to kind of pause there because they before you had been pretty much just at your your practice. Were you still doing fill in days other places before you sold or you were just primarily at your practice? I had a, a lease at a Walmart store okay. uh, about an hour away. And I had another doctor from a different town that was working for me most of the time there. And then I would go there occasionally as well. Um, so then they, so then basically they took your, they, you know, once they purchased your practice, they said, we're going to consolidate probably, I would guess. They put in more toys, try to get you efficient or more efficient, consolidated those patients into certain time frames, and then said, hey, Steve, we need you over here as well. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. I, I'm with you. Let's keep going. And, and it was nice. I got to keep my building. So I, I, ga I gained rent on that and everything. And that was fine. Um, we, um, yeah, it, when we, everything that I, when, when we were in discussion with them, one of the main questions I asked is what is the average net? Because when you go to a production-based payment system, then you keep like a certain percentage of your net which, you know, incentivizes you to keep your, your costs down and all that. They told me what the average net was. And I thought that's a pretty good net. Well, so I'm going to pause you there again, too, because, because there are things in that net that you can't control, right? In theory, you can keep your costs down. Exactly. But if they want to put a new widget in or they want to hire another person or they want to, you know, change the light bulb, you can't control that. Exactly. Okay. And that's where we went wrong. Now, hmm. my thought was, what is the average net? That should kind of cover it. What I found out was the CFO had no idea. Hmm. We got into it. And my, what I expected about a 40% raise on year number two, I basically stayed flat. Hmm. I mean, it was a huge change. I was like, hmm. wait a second, what's going on? So monthly meetings with the COO and the CFO saying, what's going on here? Like I was told this, I have emails that say this and well, you have more expenses than normal. What are you talking mm. about? Like you had all my expenses. And so it was, it was pretty contentious. And mm. um, I was thinking, you know, what have I gotten into? I still want to be a team player because I want to be an owner in two years and that sort of thing. So, you know, to what extent do you, do you gripe about it or just suck it up and, and, you know, work on. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was pretty rough. And, um, and I got, I got pretty frustrated over time. I, um, the way some of the expenses were allocated, like, uh, there was one office as I was at, there were four, four providers there and the, all the office overhead rent, uh, front office or front desk staff, optical staff, 
all of that was allocated by the month by how many, how much revenue, percentage of revenue you generate. Hmm. So what that means is that, you know, the other three practitioners, if one of them takes a two week vacation and the other two take a week off, I'm suddenly footing the bill for a huge number. Or a huge Interesting. Interesting. And that actually came up one, one month where I talked to the CFO and I said, look, next month, I'm going to take time off because I'm going to get penalized by working harder here. And here's why. And she's, well, you know, I don't think it works that way. I said, it certainly works. That way. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I think at that point I said something to the effect of I'm done with taking one for the team here. This is all about me taking care of my family right now. And I'm sorry it has to be that way, but I'm not showing up to work and paying extra just to come to work. I would rather take the week off and spend it with my family. And I'm sorry if that's offensive, but that's just where I am. And yeah, I understand. I understand. So um, it got to the point that I had a meeting with some owners that they set up, that the, C that the COO set up and kind of gave them an ultimatum. And that was in October of, 2018. So a year before you and I, so you and I, just to give you the, the listeners some perspective, you know, you and I get to reconnect every so often. And this was, that would have been probably a year before we reconnected. So I think, I think I, I we, you know, there, we, we would text back and forth, but, um, but I think where we've ever actually had an opportunity to sit down and talk about this, that was probably October, 2019 actually, yeah. when you and I, I think that's right. Yes. So, is, okay. So, I said 18 or 19. This was October of 18. Yes. Right. And yep. I, okay. So, I'm, in my mind, I'm kind of picturing the conversations we've had over time so I can plug it into where you were at when we were having those conversations. Um, okay. All right. So, 2018, October 2018, you have a sit down with the owners and, and said, either you pay me what you said you're going to pay me or let me walk away. Just let me, let me leave. Hey, it didn't work out. And, you know, and I got the, um, yeah, yeah, we really need to look at that. Yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll get on that. Um, two months later, <laughs> we had our annual meeting. And at the end of that meeting, they let all the owners leave and they just wanted to have a meeting with the employees. And, and I remember this was, you know, two and a half years in. And, and I was thinking, I remember leaving the house thinking, this could be the day. This mm. could be the day where they pull me aside and say, you know what? You're getting, you're getting rewarded. You're going to be an owner. Yeah. And um, it was just the opposite. They, they <laughs> had us all together and said, guess what? We're selling to private equity. And, um, and I was, I did not handle that. I'll, I'll be honest. I was in, in this meeting. I, um, I raised my hand and piped up and said, how does this affect our non-compete clauses? Uh, which is not, it's a competitive thing to say, you know, and, and, uh, but I, I was pretty emotionally charged at that time. Yeah. Um, and so um, I knew right then, like, this is not what I signed up for. And um, so it was a matter of trying to figure out how I was going to leave. Um, so that was, you know, that was Christmas party. So that was December of, of 18. We weren't allowed to say anything to coworkers or anything like that. And about, um, yeah, it was about three months later, they kind of broke the news. Maybe two months later, they broke the news to the to the staff. So the office managers would talk to each, each staff member. Um, my team was in my office, office manager and, and my scribe and my two technicians. And they, she explained it. And one of them said, how does this affect you? And I said, not good. I'm going to leave. And um, my one technician said, I'm coming with you. And the next one said, me too, me too, me too. So I had four immediately that wanted to, but because- Why of my do you think- why, well, why do you think that there was already that perception that, that things weren't going to go the way they wanted them to go? That, like, what about being in a uh, private practice that has a lot of owners and a lot of locations still probably from the sounds of it runs similarly to a, um, a private equity firm or maybe even more, more similarly to a corporate practice than, than an independent, like a single location, single doctor? or multiple doctor, single location, private practice. But what, was, what, did they, what were they aware of? What do you think they were aware of yeah. when you told them immediately to say, this is not what I want? We had, um, the way that it was set up, as I look back at that culture, uh, 
it was it was pretty segmented. Like my team was my ah. team. If you think about kind of like a conference, you know, you're you're in Cornhusker country. So you guys are now part of the Big Ten. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's this brotherhood of Big Ten, but you guys are your Nebraska fans. And then there's Michigan fans. And there's Iowa fans. And there's and we were kind of like that, like my team. We thought we were the best. And mm. so, you know, my scribe and my two technicians, we were we were tight. I mean, we'd go out to eat together and, and whatever. And. And, and we'd laugh at the others because they don't, they do it this way. You know? So there, there's this kind of uh, friendly rivalry and, and it was friendly. I mean, I had great coworkers there. And, um, but I think I did not have a good co- poker face for those few months. I think they, they got a real sense um, of what was going on. And um, so when I said I'm leaving, their first thought was, hey, we're a team, we're all going together. Mm. Yeah. Um, that, that couldn't happen because of the way the contract was structured. So my, my one uh, technician, yeah, my one technician, she uh, was with me before I joined this group. So I could take her with me. I could legally ask her to come with me. Because she was already with you before. Exactly. She was carved out of my non-solicitation yeah. clause. Yeah. And so um, the others, and so I said, I would love it, but I can't ask any of you to come, but yes, I would love to have you. And so, um, so that's kind of where it began. And uh, they, um, they asked me, you know, so I went ahead and, and, well, it was really frustrating too, because we didn't know who we were working for. Um, we know which group was buying the practice, but we didn't know the structure and so we were given contracts that were just blank of like who was involved in the contract. Well, I'm not giving that to my attorney and my attorney wow. told me, don't ever sign anything. If you're pressured into it, don't ever do that. As, as we, Steve promise me this, you know, that sort of thing. And um, so this went along and, and, you know, not much was, was happening. And I was at a state OA meeting and this was on a uh, Thursday at about, two o'clock in the afternoon, we got emails and this is your final contract. So for the first time, a full contract to look over. Was that the meeting that I, I saw you at or was it the meeting before? That was a meeting. It was before. a board meeting. Yeah, it was a board meeting or something. Right. I maybe it was a fall. board meeting in October of that year. This would yeah. have been in April of that year. Okay. Okay. And um, so a Thursday afternoon, hey, this is your contract. We need all doctors to sign it by one o'clock tomorrow. It was less than 24 hours. And, um, and I called the, the um, COO and I said, what happens if I don't sign it? What do you mean? I said, I guess I just need to know, am I going to have a job on Monday? Are you guys changing the locks? Uh, what do we do? Well, why wouldn't you sign it? And I said, well, first of all, the non-compete clause is, is one thing. And I'm not signing anything on short notice that changes that. And we had a dispute over what my non-compete clause said. And I actually had a buyout in mind and nobody else did. So kudos to the, to the negotiator that I didn't even know was doing that. That was one thing he worked in there. And um, so she said, you don't have a buyout. I said, I think I do. No, you don't, nobody does. Well, that another <laughs> frantic call to my attorney. He goes, relax, you do, it's very clear. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, anyway, so what happens if I don't sign it? And, um, about three hours later, I got a text back that said, the attorneys are not willing to discuss that. Wow. And I was like, okay. And, and I remember at that conference, you know, talking to, to friends and they're like, so what are you gonna do? I was like, I don't, I mean, I'm not signing it. There's no way I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get bullied into signing a contract. I'm, I'm, I'm digging my heels in. Does that mean I have a job on Monday? I have no idea. I will see. It was a it was a pretty rough, pretty rough weekend. Yeah. I got um, a phone call on a Sunday morning. I got several calls on Saturday that I didn't answer because I'm like, let's just see what happens. I got a phone call on a Sunday morning. I took that one. I was I was pretty upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they said, "Well, I'm really sorry. We can come and and." drive to your town and discuss it. And I said, no, there's no, no need to do that. I said, I think we're at an impasse. 
And I'm just going to put my notice in a 90 day notice that I'm required to do. I'll put that in first thing Monday morning. So um, they asked me a couple of days later, would you be willing to stay longer than 90 days? And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And then they came back with, if you stay till the end of the year, an extra five months, we'll knock X amount off of your buyout. Ooh, I like that. Mm, so, yeah. so that was a good, easy negotiation. Um, so I stayed on, you know, the lame duck at, for the for the rest of the year. Very much worth it for me. Um, as it turns out, that company that bought them, the, the private equity company, turned around and flipped it and sold it. Oh, they uh, flipped already? Yeah. Oh, uh, within a year. So I think, so right after you and I had talked in 2019, at that same uh, KOA meeting, uh, I, I still haven't disclosed his name because he asked me not to, but um, I believe he was part of that group um, that, that, purchased your, that purchased your practice and then flipped. Uh, or one of the, one of the, maybe they lumped a couple that private equity firm lumped a couple of you all in Kansas together um, and then flipped it again. But I didn't realize they, they flipped and spun off. Yeah. So one private equity firm bought these two big practices. Yes. Okay. That's what it was. And, and then turned around in um, uh, March, I think of 2020. So, so like, a year and a couple months. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, actually just under a year. Cause I think the closing date was like May, early May of, of 19. To, yeah. Yeah. It was right at a year. Um, and so, I mean, and we knew that even the company or the private, they tell you that right away. Yep. Like we're, we're looking to flip it. We're in it for the money and, and we all know this and which that's to their credit. They're not trying to, it's not smoke and mirrors. They know, you know exactly what they're going to do. Um, and I don't fault them for that. I mean, it's business. And, yeah. and I was, I honestly don't think that there were things in the works when I joined. Um, I think it moved fairly quickly. Uh, I believe in the kind of the goodwill of the owners, but you know, it was just, it was bad timing. And, yeah. uh, and I, where I'm at right now, I look back and I'm like, I'm glad I went through all that. I really am. Cause I love where I am right now. I'm having so much more fun and all that. Now, it was, it was pretty rough to get here, but as most things and, and a, for a spiritually minded person like yourself, it's kind of easy to look back and say, yeah, I can see now that was, oh, yeah. it was all meant to be. And uh, so when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see, but I, I can see that now. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really interesting because my understanding is you're back in private practice. Exactly. And, but you didn't go back to your small town. You went to the, the slightly bigger town that, that you kind of live in My suburbs. Uh, is uh, about 40, uh, between 40 and 45,000. So, you know, medium sized mm -hmm. Kansas town, um, draws, yep. draws a little bit bigger than that. Cause, cause we're the biggest town in our County. So we draw more like, you know, 65,000 probably. Um, yeah. Was it easier yeah. to set up this practice than, than the first one because of all the lessons you learned and the location? And It's so much easier. Uh, when we opened up, it was just me and my one worker. Um, and, you know, going, you know, no files, paperless, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> good, good equipment, good financing. And so my wife and I went to Vision Expo West in um, 2019, fall of 2019. And for one purpose, and that was to pick out our entire inventory of frames and um, all from independent manufacturers. And so finding all those mom and pop places, people whose names we know, you know, that they're actually manufacturing themselves in some cases. And we're like, we realized I love selling frames because I know how it affects him and his family mm -hmm. and her and she's the designer and she's awesome. And I like her. And, you know, and, and it was, it was really fun. And so we, yeah. that. Um, you know, finding an independent lab for the same reason. And um, yeah, so it, that's been fun. Uh, we, my, my kind of right-hand man uh, lady uh, and I, and she, we're good friends and her dad and I are close friends. And so she's, I've known her for years. Um, 
we started out and it was just us and it's kind of laughable. We, we do literally laugh about that because we were way over our heads. You know, all the clinical stuff we were good at, uh, optical stuff we were good at, administrative stuff, no way. We were mm. just, just cobbling things together. And within just a, about three months, the office manager at one of the big practices that I, that I was at, uh, the, the larger place, she came and talked to me and said, hey, I want to talk to you about maybe coming and joining you guys. Mm. She was like our dream employee because we had worked with her. She was amazing. Good, good fit. Great skill set. And since she approached me, we could have that discussion. I, I couldn't reach out to her. Oh, right, right, right. And so and, right. and I made it clear. I said, well, you're going to have to approach me. I can't approach you. And she said, well, this is me approaching you. So can we talk? I said, <laughs> let's do it. You know, um, with about, let's see, about six months after that, her sister joined us as well. And she also worked in that practice. Um, so great experience, great fit. Um, she had quit there and came and, and interviewed the same day she quit. Uh, was not good there. And uh, she was great for us and a great fit. So, um, so we kind of have our little, our little enclave now on the other side of town and it is just fun. I mean, we really have a lot of fun together and I almost feel guilty because I have good friends that gripe about their staff and we, and we do that. You know? yeah. It's a, it's a big part of our job. And, and um, yeah, but life is way too short to, to not enjoy, you know, uh, the people you're around and the things you're doing. And, absolutely. and I, and I'm, I'm a huge believer of, of like being able to walk in to whatever you're doing, whatever the day is and, and just being like, yeah, I want to do this today, you know? And, um, and, uh, you know, I, that's not to say that, that I don't sometimes gripe, you know, but, but, but the reality is, is most of the time I'm trying to have, you know, I'm trying to have fun and I'm making sure that, that not only am I the one and I'm, am I having fun, but I provide a good opportunity for other people to come to work and enjoy what they do. And, and I don't want to make it a spot where people, you know, Oh gosh, it's money is coming around. Oh, Dr. Wolf's going to be there today. And you know, like I, I'm not, I'm not in for that. And I, and I don't need to make people's life harder. Um, I, I'm trying to make people's lives e- easier and just enjoy it. And I think that's, that's huge. I mean, and it, I don't, I think you and I can, can kind of, um, dump on certain things. I'm, I've got a couple of questions to ask you about this, but you know, it's easy for us to dump on, you know, this type of practice or that type of practice. I, I mean, there's probably people that really enjoy it that, that, uh, um, you know, that, that in, just like what you said, is like, I'm just tired of, of dealing with all the other stuff of running a business and, going through a, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I want that. Do you think the reason I bring all that up is that that was you at one point. So how did that, I mean, I, you, you describe all these frustrations with, with money and with all this other stuff, but, but like, was it, was it the compensation that eroded it away? Or was it the combination of the fact that it was the compensation plus the fact you didn't have that wasn't being met the expectations that weren't being met coupled with the fact that you had less control in your practice? How much, how much did the lack of control have to do with your discontent? You're talking about in the, in the larger practice. Yeah. When, yeah. When you, when you sold your other practice and you, and you sold it to the other practice, you were tired of independent practice after 10 years. And so, but it only took you two years <laughs> to, to get to tire of the other. Yeah. It was, so it was, I mean, you focused a, on the financial aspect of it, but yeah, go ahead. Um, the, the culture of the large practice was different. And I felt like um, my ideals were not reflected. That is, I love making a personal connection with my patients. I feel like, and, and I'm, my undergrad degree is in education, so I have a teaching degree. And, and that's, the way I, that's the way I practice. And that is, I mean, it's what everything is based on. So when people, when people leave, when they say, thank you, I had no idea what all this was about. I had no idea that you could see that. I, could, I had no idea this and that. that. I love that. Clinically, I love that more than anything. Is people, you know, just the healthy 
myope that you can cruise through that exam. I love explaining things and have them go, oh, I get it. Oh, that's great. You know, and because and, the eye is amazing. The visual system yeah. is amazing. And I, and I love talking about it. Um, it. That is not conducive to a large practice where you're, it's turnstiles, you're turning people through. That was part of it. Um, and then, you know, when, when the owners decided to sell, I was, I'm pretty close to some of those owners. Like they're, they're great people. I really like them, mm -hmm. but it's hard to work alongside people that just, I felt like they just kind of hung me out to dry. Mm. I think there were creative ways that they could have made like, you know, class shares of ownership based on different things to reward the employees. And I was there for, you know, two and a half years when they announced it. I have friends that are good clinicians and great people that were there for 12, 13, mm. 15 years. Now they didn't get ownership because they didn't bring a, a practice with them. So they were building up, but man, great workers and just fantastic people. And I'm thinking like, I'm this, I'm this upset and I feel like I got taken oh. of that guy who also has six kids and, and a fantastic family. He's stuck. You know, he doesn't even have a buyout and it's, it's hard to work for people with that in, in my mind. And I just, I didn't like it. I wanted to get away from there as fast as I could get there. Yeah. So what's the end game with all of this? I mean, you know, I, again, you could speculate all, all you, you know, I could speculate all I want, but seeing it from the inside and then probably having those relationships that you have with people who are probably still in some of these places, you, you know, does it flip again? How many times can it flip? You know, and then, and then at some point, does it crumble? You know, you hear about, you know, read the, in the history books of private equity being in eye care and being in other spaces of healthcare where, you know, they're, they're coming back to the doctors that they originally bought out, asking them to buy, buy those practices because they're just not worth, they, they can't run them at scale. Uh, so what are, you, what are your thoughts about that? It's <laughs> the golden question, right? Um, yeah. What's the end game? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I go back and forth on this a lot because yeah, I think it's easy for, for people like you and, and me to rail against this whole thing. I, mean, mm -hmm. I, think I think we're barreling down a path and we don't know what's at the end. Um, but let's say you're 62 years old. I mean, are, are, are you going, am I in a position where I can try to urge you to sell to a new grad when you can get 40% more from private equity. I mean, that's, that's really hard for me to stomach that if I'm out there and very outspoken, you know, who am I in kind of the middle of my career to say what I think that retiring doc should do? Um, do I think it's good for our, for our industry? No way. I think yeah. private equity is probably the worst thing that we're facing. Personally, I think that what it does, the end game, well, maybe not the end game, but the, the further down the road game is that we become like pharmacy. We become mm -hmm. the plug and play doctors and, and doctors might become doctors with, with air quotes mm -hmm. because you take away all the decision-making, you take away the personality and why would they pay you a good wage when they, they can get an undergrad or a grad recent grad that comes in and does the exact same thing. You plug them in there for a lot less money. And suddenly that's what we're, we're filled up. And I, I don't see, you know, the, the online sale of contacts being an issue. I see private equity completely changing our profession.
whatever the path is to get to that point, if we don't have trust, if, if our patients don't trust the decisions that we're collectively coming to with them, and if there are things that, that are around that can weaken that, um, that's, that's a challenge. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, it's a, it, you, we were talking about this at the very beginning. If, you know, if we have um, an entity that's talking, and, and this is, you know, just more general, the things that we've seen about, well, you know, you can't, you can't use anything off-label. It's got to be on-label. You, you know, you can't, you, this medication isn't approved for this condition, so you can't use it for that condition. Well, if that's where we, we're going to start to go, uh, or if that's what winds up happening with some of the things that you're talking about, I agree with you. I think it's, it, you know, it is, um, it's going to be a challenge to maintain the, the longevity of, of the doctor-patient relationship and eye care. And I, I, I actually think the most important thing for me is that that's a detriment to patients, you know, and, and yes, it's a detriment to our profession, but it's a detriment to patients first. And, and, um, and then, you know, just like rising tides elevate all ships, you know, sinking tides will do the same. And, and um, you know, we, we've got to be careful. You know, we've got to really be careful. Yeah. I, I want to go back just a little bit. There was um, talking about starting up a practice again, you know, hmm. starting a, a cold start. The second time was way better because, you know, those, those three years that I was with the big group, my patient base just believed. Mm. And so to, to get that patient base to just expand like crazy and then go about two and a half, three miles down the street and open up, um, it was a, an ideal way to start. I mean, it, it's, so all the metrics of like what you can expect, I blew those out of the water, but it was kind of cheating because I'd been in practice for right. 14 years by then and or 13 years. So it's not really fair. It's not really a, just a cold startup. But my, I was talking to my brother, um, my oldest brother, and he was, uh, he was, I told him how excited I was to kind of start over again. And, and he was saying, but why? I mean, well, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, what's the, the appeal? And I said, well, think about it this way. If you got out of college and the first house that you bought, that, that you didn't buy a house, you built a house. Yeah. And you were, you know, 22 years old, and that's what you thought you wanted to do. It was, oh, that's great. You can change that house all you want, but you're limited by what you've already done to a certain extent. And, you know, and here it is, you're, you're 15 years later, and you have a chance to just raise that house and build it again. That house looks a lot different that second time, because you've already, you have this experience to build on, you know, all the mistakes that you made the first time, and it's a blessing to have a a blank slate and it's it's exciting and you know what would your practice look like if you were forced to start again and and it's it's kind of fun well not just kind of fun it was really i i've really enjoyed it we have a like i said an amazing facility my staff is is top of the line i mean they i can't say enough good stuff about them we we really have fun together um and yeah, it's, it's like having just built a house that suits me perfectly right now. So can you, so the last question I'll ask you, can you, um, without going through what you went through, can you be 15 years into practice and raise that house and rebuild it the way you want to? I mean, <laughs> anybody without, without leaving a physical location and a physical entity, can you just say, look, I'm redesigning my practice. Or do you think... Or do you think it has to be an evolution that takes time? Um, I, I think, I think that imagine if you have to have a surgery, you know, you don't get an option for that and you come out better on the other end. Was that something that you would wake up on a Saturday morning and say, I think I'd like to have someone go in and redo my heart, you know, and kind of re reconfigure the, the vessels around it. Like, no way. It, it took a crisis and it takes a crisis for you to, to do that. And I think theoretically it'd be probably be a great business move if people that have been in practice for 15 years would do that and just say, you know what, I'm going to start over. Hey everybody, we're going to shut down for three months and we are going to do this thing right. But it would take a crisis to do that. I think 
the thing that we probably see the most is people running out of space and then building a nice new practice and all that. So that happens, but that's more of a, something you plan on and you it kind of work into that. And it's a dream that's, that's realized over time. Um, yeah. So I think that's another one of those things in my case is unique. Um, I think that I had to go through that as kind of a, a jolt and a wake up call to get me to that place where I could start building again. Um, Shakabuki. What? It's a swift, it's a swift kick to the head that completely <laughs> alters your reality. Yes. You know, that's from, you know, the first time I heard that was there's a, there's a movie from the late nineties called gross point blank. blank. Yes. Yep. It's one of my favorites of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and it's so funny you said that because I just watched a clip of that on YouTube. Uh, because which one bing, 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 popcorn the song, the song is uh, under pressure by queen oh my gosh what a and great what, that is like the class it's like like one of my favorite scenes of all time having this existential oh. moment with this baby and they're staring at each other oh yeah. oh my gosh that that is like yeah i get goosebumps when i think about that and and what brought that up was one of my workers told me to watch um uh, it's kind of a funny story, uh, which is a movie that came out a couple years ago. And, um, and there's a scene in there where they use the same song and, uh, and it's a, it's a, also a fantastic scene. And, and so it made me think, Oh, there was this, uh, this movie gross point blank that I love. And I went back and watched that clip, but you're right. That's what that's from. The, oh man. It alters your reality. Many drivers said that. Yeah. Many drivers said that. Yep. <laughs> Steve Miller. Thanks for being on, man. This is great. Chris, it's a blast. Always great to talk to you. It's good to talk to you too, man. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna edit this up and then I will um, I'll shoot you over a copy. I'm thinking that um, it's probably gonna be December 13th or December 6th that will come out. Okay. Um, either way, uh, I'll probably edit it up this week, the rest of this week, and then. Um, and then I'll send it over. If there's something you say that you don't want to say, then um, then just tell me, and I'll 